0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening until 10 o'clock. We've got all kinds of things to talk about, but I want to pick up on uh, uh, on what Matt Pawley was talking about, though, at the end of the last hour. So, Matt Pajeski, make sure you fire up your mic here. Did you get the idea when Matt Polly was talking about his Jeep that he was like inviting someone to steal his Jeep. Did you get that impression? It almost seemed like it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would not have uh, said how easy my car was to be <laughs> broken into in the air. I was thinking, wait, dude, do you like have your car overinsured so you're broadcasting? Oh. Hey, my car is very easy to break into. In fact, right now it's at the corner of Market and Eleventh Street. <laughs> Um, it's only worth about five grand, but I've got it insured for 20. So if you want to come and steal it, feel free. I, I kind of thought he was, like, advertising yeah. for well, someone to
2: steal his car. In downtown St. Louis, though, you don't even have to advertise to come steal your car. Some, something's going to happen to it regardless. You don't, have to, you don't have to broadcast it on the radio for that to happen.
1: Well, that's true. And 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 as he was talking about uh, all the people that break into his car, even when his car is easy to get into and they, and they crash through his window and stuff, I, I reminded him during the break that I said, "You know, criminals are not James Bond uh, mastermind criminals. I mean that that's why they're criminals. They're not they're not geniuses. That's why they're out there." And so, uh, so it just was, it was. I was just laughing in in the in the studio next door when Matt was talking about uh, all this stuff with his car, and and when he talked about getting your car stolen, I was thinking of the, of the movie Roadhouse. Where Patrick Swayze uh, has two cars, he's got one that's just a uh, uh, just a beater car that is just designed as somebody can steal it, they can smash it, it doesn't matter. And then, of course, when you go back to the barn, you've got the smoking hot roadster, uh, you know, back in the barn. But that's not what you drive when you're driving around. And uh, and then the other thing that occurred to me is, Matt Polly, that's why you have insurance. You know, if your car gets stolen. Uh, that's the beauty of insurance. Brad Young, in with you this evening. We've got we've got an interview coming up in the second segment here, but the rest of the show this evening, I, I want to hear from you because we're going to be talking about all kinds of topics. But uh, with this election coming up next Tuesday, what issues do you think are important? We hear what the mainstream media tells us are the important issues. But what are the issues that are important to you? And if you've heard uh, at your service when I'm in here before, I don't like to to bash personalities. I like to discuss ideas. And so what is it that's important to you? When you cast your ballot, what is on your mind? And so except for when we're in an interview this evening, I do want to hear from you throughout the show. Um, and I'm going to go back to to Matt Pajeski here because – Today is National Deviled Egg Day. Do you like deviled eggs? No, I don't. You know, bless you, okay? I think that's one of the most disgusting food items that's ever been put on a plate. And at Thanksgiving or at Christmas at my house, somebody always brings over deviled eggs and everyone fawns over them. And I'm thinking, you know, I would have to be like Tom Hanks in Castaway before I'm going to start eating deviled eggs. Yeah. and I'm glad to know it's not just me no they are they are repulsive they are repulsive they're repulsive in terms of how they smell how they taste the the feel of the item I just i boy you know uh, I just don't get who eats these deviled eggs and today not only do people eat deviled eggs but today there's an entire day devoted to deviled eggs and i I was just I was horrified by that there needs to be Scrambled egg day or something to make up for this terrible day. Something. I'm convinced that that somewhere in the Geneva Convention that there's a rule that prohibits feeding deviled eggs to prisoners of war because it would violate their human rights. You know, if you've got some guy in a prison and he caught him on the—captured him on the battlefield and you say— Uh, here's all you have to eat is deviled eggs. I mean, I think that's what the Russians would give you if they captured a Ukrainian and threw him in a prison. All you can eat, comrade, is deviled eggs. Yeah. Because that, I mean, that's torture right there. That's cruel and unusual. Cruel and unusual punishment. And if I've offended you, uh, I I apologize. But, uh, boy, I just don't get it. Also today, uh, it's uh, St. Louis's own Nelly, uh, his birthday today. He's 48 years old. And... And there's two other – I always like to look at these national days because uh, like deviled egg – who who invented deviled egg day? I have no idea. But these two actually fit because it's National Housewife Day, which I didn't even know you could still, still say that today. But it's also National Men Make Dinner Day. And I can – can't you see, Matt, how those two I, I days the, can go together? Yeah, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing that. You know, there's – That, to me, has symmetry. If you have National Housewife Day and National Men Make Dinner Day, that works as long as you don't make deviled eggs, okay? You don't put all three of these ideas together because that would truly be disgusting. Uh, One thing that's also disgusting uh, is discrimination, race-based discrimination. And yet it seems crazy to me that at the Supreme Court on Monday of this week— we're still challenging race-based discrimination. And it happens at universities all across this country in their admission policies. So we're going to talk to, uh, coming right up after the break, he's one of my favorite guests. Uh, He's Cornell University law professor William Jacobson. He blogs daily at LegalInsurrection.com. And we're going to talk to him about this Harvard Affirmative Action case and how this decision could impact the admissions policies at universities not just across the country, but even right here in St. Louis. Brad Young at your service. We're going to take a break. Don't go away. You're listening to KMOX St. Louis. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month.
0: New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: Welcome back to Ads Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening and the Harvard Affirmative Action case, this is something that I've been following very closely here on Camo X since the initial trial was argued before uh, uh, years ago, actually. But now the case has been argued before the Supreme Court on Monday And joining us to discuss the issues that were raised before the Supreme Court is Cornell University Law School Professor William Jacobson. He runs a website, LegalInsurrection.com. I read it every single day. It's fabulous for covering uh, uh, issues regarding the the legal news, culture, immigration, anything that you're interested in, you can find it at LegalInsurrection.com. Professor Jacobson, welcome back to KMOX.
2: Thanks for having me back.
1: Now, uh, Professor, Harvard and also the University of North Carolina, among other universities, they use a system that gives preferential treatment to some ethnic groups while penalizing other ethnic groups. Give us just kind of a brief overview about what these universities have been doing.
2: Well, the universities say they take race into account as part of an overall evaluation of candidates. In the Harvard case, the statistics were particularly stark using the SATs as a measurement. Basically, an Asian student in the top 10% of all students scoring on the SAT had about the same chance of getting in as a black student who scored in the bottom 40%. So basically, to equate the two in terms of results... um, you know, basically z- zero Asians who had the average score that black applicants had get in. And so the Asian students uh, are the ones claiming discrimination. I mean, oddly enough, this is not like whites claiming discrimination. Uh, and and Harvard doesn't really dispute it. They say they take race into account, but they have no bad intent. But the numbers are the numbers. And uh, the issue before the Supreme Court is not the numbers. But the issue is whether Harvard and UNC can use race as part of their measurement of whether people get in. And that's really the heart of it. It violates arguably the 14th Amendment, and it also violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act, that you can't do that. And so universities were given over the years basically an exception to the law. It was the university Mm -hmm. exception to the law, which is – You can't do what any – you can do what other people cannot do as long as there is some legitimate educational value there. And the value, they say, is that a diverse student body creates a better educational environment. Uh, And when they were allowed to do this, really – I mean, you could go all the way back to the late 70s with the so-called Bakke case. But really, it was 2003, the Grutter case – Basically, uh, it was a close to split decision, and I think it was Justice O'Connor who wrote the plurality decision, said, look, we don't think this, we're not going to allow this to go on forever, okay? And the number 25 years, we expect this to go away in 25 years. And that was in 2003.
1: Yeah, and that was in 2003.
2: Yeah, and we're getting there. I mean, we're about five years away from 25 years, or almost five years away from 25 years, Mm -hmm. and it's not going away. And what was super interesting with the oral argument is that multiple justices asked the lawyers, I think, for both universities, what's the end point of this? Mm-hmm. When do you stop doing this? And the answer was basically never. Mm-hmm. That we're going to continue to do it. And that's a problem. That's going to be a major problem that this was supposed to essentially be somewhat remedial. It was supposed to. Um, you know, uh, be temporary, based on past historical wrongs. Uh, And it wasn't supposed to be a forever. The exception universities have to the anti-discrimination laws in the Constitution was not going to go on forever. And the Supreme Court made that pretty clear. And I think you've probably got six justices who are going to make it clear again whenever they rule on this case.
1: Absolutely. We're talking to Cornell University Law School professor William Jacobson, who blogs daily at LegalInsurrection.com. Now, the system that Harvard and University of North Carolina is using to determine admission, isn't this the same system that was used to prevent too many Jewish students from attending Harvard uh, early in the 20th century?
2: Yes. I mean, one thing that nobody is disputing, Harvard's not even disputing, is that in the 20s, the Harvard president ordered the admissions office to come up with this holistic model where you view the entirety of the person and their personality and other traits rather than academics. I don't know if they had the SATs back then, I assume not, um, but other academic measurements. And it was explicitly for the purpose of limiting the number of Jews at Harvard. And if you look at the charts, of Harvard enrollment of Jews in the 20s, it goes up and up and up. They implement the holistic model. It goes down and down and down, and then it remains relatively flat forever uh, because it's relatively flat because they're manipulating the numbers. If you look at the chart for Asians, you have to fast forward 70, 80 years later, and it's the exact same chart. It goes up and up and up. Fascinating. They implement the holistic model for them. And it goes down and stays steady. And if you put the two charts, and I saw somebody do this, if you put the two charts, which of course are 70, 80 years apart, but right. if you lay one on top of the other, they are almost identical. Amazing. Because the holistic model is a fraud. The holistic model is what the universities hide behind to establish quotas for their classes, which is illegal. Mm. And I think that's what the Supreme Court's going to hold.
1: Uh, and I agree with you on that. And it also seems to me, Professor Jacobson, that, that the entire notion of what is race or ethnicity is really an issue here. And I think that Justice Alito highlighted this during oral argument when he raised the issue that, that someone could just check a box and assert that they were in a minority group Based upon family lore, and how would that advance the so-called uh, positive aspects of race discrimination that's used in in admissions? So doesn't doesn't this demonstrate the the lack of effectiveness? Even if the motives are pure, the methods are simply ineffective.
2: Right. Well, well two points. There. One, I laughed out loud when he said that because nobody has followed. Elizabeth Warren more closely than I have. We, we actually have an entire website called ElizabethWarrenWiki.org, which documented her Native American fraud more in-depth than anybody, I guarantee you. So hmm. I know her story. The second I heard on the computer, as I'm doing other stuff, family lore, it's like, wait, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> and uh, so because I know because she's somebody – who with no substantial basis, with no evidence, with nothing other than supposed stories, and those stories are questionable, but let's say that she did have stories, supposed stories, um, checked the box early in her law professor career and miraculously somehow made it from a you know third-tier law school to Harvard Law School. Shazam. Oh, surprised about that. Um, and so, so I knew that. And, and so what Alito said I forget which lawyer. I think it was the UNC lawyer. And it's that point, like, well, what qualifies somebody for this classification? Is it one grandparent? And the lawyer kind of hemmed in hard. Well, what about (laughs) one great grandparent? And then he said, what about one great, great grandparent? And then he says, you know where I'm going with this. And that's when he talked about the family law. Mm -hmm. And even that lawyer had to say, well, no, (laughs) family law is not enough. Uh, You know, so that's the other thing. And but but think how absurd The whole racial classification system we have is what about people of mixed background, which who gets to choose? And this whole notion that merely having people of different skin color uh, creates diversity of viewpoint is not accurate you have people of multiple skin colors who are all liberals, okay, and who all have to swear to the DEI religion and who all have to go through the social justice stuff to get admitted to, you know, they start something in high school or the parents start for them, you know. So this is this whole system is a complete fraud. They don't want diversity of mm-hmm. viewpoints. They don't want vigorous debate on campus for whatever their reasons they have decided that they want to manipulate the complexion of the student body, but it, has no, it there's no educational benefit there, or certainly if there is one, it is not enough to justify institutionalizing racism, which is what they're doing. I mean, the left always screams about systemic racism, Well what the universities do in admissions is systemic racism. It is institutionalized mm. racism. And I don't think the Supreme Court's gonna let it go on much longer. Yeah, we're
1: we're talking to Cornell University Law School Professor William Jacobson, and again his blog is fabulous over at legalinsurrection.com. And you raise a great point here because as I was listening to some of the excerpts from the oral argument, uh, the one of the attorneys for University of North Carolina even said that, that we want the diversity, but I thought you're not really looking for ideological diversity because that doesn't exist on campus. And then, of course, that reminded me about your personal experience. You have personally faced the wrath of professors and administrators and students who lack ideological diversity on campus, haven't you?
2: That's right. I mean, at Cornell University, where I teach, is really, I think, no different than most universities and most campuses. Um, it is you know, 99% Democrat among the faculty. Uh, the Cornell Sun student newspaper has done studies of donations from faculty, and I think it was the College Fix just did um, political registrations of faculty in the humanities. And do you know that there was only one professor in the humanities at Cornell University who is a registered Republican, um, and that something like 97 plus percent of faculty donations go to Democrats? So politically, there's no diversity there and there's no ideological diversity because when someone like me criticized factually, accurately, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, there were attempts to get me fired and denounced and et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, this no this notion that the universities actually want diversity is, is just not true. Mm-hmm. They for whatever they are fixated on race, they're fixated on skin color. Um, it's really obscene. It's really the opposite of what we should be doing. And they're hiding behind this notion of diversity of viewpoint. And I forget which of the justices, maybe multiple of the justices, said, well, what does skin color have to do with viewpoint? Okay, well, where's your evidence that people with different of a particular skin color have A particular viewpoint, how is that a measure of anything? And these are questions they couldn't answer. They want to discriminate because they want to discriminate. They're addicted to it. And they're not going to give it up unless the Supreme Court forces them.
1: Yep. And and you gave and you've raised a, another uh, amazing issue here. And, and I watched a presentation that you gave last week at Cornell University where you asserted in part that that the entire notion of treating people merely as representatives of groups instead of individuals is a bad idea, both both legally and morally. Kind of briefly share that thesis with us, would you?
2: Yeah, well, I was invited by the Cornell Political Union, which is a student group. Let me tell you, the students are more open minded than the faculty are and the administrators are. There's more, div- while the students do lean liberal, I mean, no question about that, there's more diversity of opinion among students than there is faculty and administrators. Okay, so the Cornell Political Union, which has in the past invited conservative speakers, it's kind of like the Oxford Union format. Mm -hmm. You give a presentation, they then question you, they then debate among themselves, and then they vote on the resolution that you were in support of, either up or down. So my resolution was the second half of John Roberts' famous statement that the way to stop, to end discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. That's his most famous line from a prior case. And so it was the, the resolution was stop discriminating on the basis mm. of race, but really the debate came down to affirmative action. And my argument is that we have really lost our way by focusing on groups, that the way we classify people is irrational. Did you know, or I didn't know before I started looking into it, for the U.S. Census purposes, somebody from the Middle East is considered white. That's not, I mean, that's not something on a campus they'd be called a person of color, but for the census, they're called white. These classifications, these racial classifications are irrational and crazy in many, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And what does it even mean to be non-white or white? How much skin color do you need? None of this is meaningful. View people as individuals, not as groups. Because once you set up this system of competition for spots at a university, or at a job where these are zero-sum gains, there's only so many spots, you're setting people against each other. You're creating bitterness. You're creating anger because no matter how you do it, if you don't judge somebody individually on their merits, then you are setting up more conflict, and that's dangerous for society. So this whole exercise they're doing is not productive for individuals, and it's not productive for society.
1: (laughs) And and I think you and I are in agreement that once we receive the opinion on this Harvard and UNC case, uh, these college admission practices will finally uh, will finally be stricken as being unjust racial discrimination.
2: That's right. And but what they're going to do is they're going to try to figure out ways around it. Harvard's also because of the pandemic, but they're also I think they still have on hold. SAT optional for applications. So they will start removing essentially the evidence of discrimination. The one thing, despite the denials of the Harvard admissions people, the one thing they couldn't escape is look at these statistics. And the statistics are so blatant that there was discrimination against Asian applicants that they couldn't escape it. And so what Mm -hmm. they're going to do is they're going to eliminate the ability to gather that evidence. And they'll go into an even deeper holistic model, and they will even try to shroud everything even more. Wow. So while I think it will be helpful, I think it will have a positive impact, I think these schools are so addicted to you know essentially quotas and to racial programming that I think they're going to try to find ways to get around it. Mm.
1: That is scary. Cornell University Law School Professor William Jacobson. I again I'm not I'm not blowing smoke here. I look at your website every day, legalinsurrection.com. Thank you so much for covering this and so many topics, and especially thanks for joining us this evening on Camo
2: Great take care.
1: Great to talk to you, sir. Hey, I do want to open the phone lines. For this and other topics, but what do you think of these admission practices by universities across the country and even some universities right here in St. Louis that exclude some students based on race in order to give preferential treatment to others based on race? Is, is this really needed to correct past discrimination? or is it simply wrong to discriminate against anyone even if your, even if your motives are pure? What do you think? 314? 436 7900. Call or text at your service. Hey, we'll be right back. Well, we've got lots of uh, texting going on out there, Uh, lots of texts coming in. Folks, since it's just kind of a synopsis of some of the texts we have Uh, white is not a race, Uh, black is not a race, it's a human race. Uh, And that's a culmination of several texts that we have coming in. Thank you very much. Uh, Also, uh, Mary Lynn, thank you very much for texting in about uh, the liberal baloney. I will use the word baloney because I do understand FCC regulations. So I will use that word. Uh, But also earlier in the show, uh, right before in the first segment, I had asked what motivates you coming up uh, just next Tuesday night. And by the way, whether you're listening to Camo X, there's going to be fantastic coverage here on election night. Uh, Hancock and Kelly will be here. Uh, Maria Kina will have reporters uh, at all of the major candidate uh, parties, offices to cover the election results. I'll be over on 97.1 with Mark Reardon, and uh, we'll be doing a very similar coverage over there. So there will be lots of ways uh, that you can follow the election next next Tuesday evening. But I asked earlier. I asked you to tell me what, what issues motivate you at the ballot box. And we have lots of pundits that tell us what to think, but I, I don't want to hear from pundits. I want to hear from you. And one person texted in about the mainstream media is so warped uh, they mislead people to get them all stirred up. And while that's absolutely true, and, folks, that's true both on the right and on the left. That is not an ideological uh, distinction. Uh, it's true on both sides of the political aisle. But how does that motivate you at the ballot box? I don't think that's a a voting—something uh, that motivates you in terms of how you vote, because that's not going to impact the mainstream media that we know is usually— primarily lock stock in in one direction. But I I got a list. I came up with a list of issues. And you might have others. But throughout the show tonight, if you want to share with us what issues motivate you, I would like to hear that. Uh, The economy, of course, which includes inflation, crime, immigration, abortion, climate change, gun policy, foreign policy, health care, Education, COVID-19, the response of our government officials to the COVID pandemic, election integrity, the state of democracy. We heard that even even this evening, Uh, President Biden gave a speech earlier today talking about the whole state of democracy is in peril as he's talking about the uh, the attacker who attacked Nancy Pelosi's husband. Uh, And I've got a lot of thoughts on that, but he's raising that as an issue. China is an issue. We see that in the in the campaign ads right here in the St. Louis area, Russia, which includes, of course, the war in Ukraine, the culture wars. I mean, those are uh, that's just a list of of issues that I came up with that could be a motivating factor. You might have another motivating factor. And that's why I, I I would like to hear from you, because we hear a lot about what the experts say, but. The experts are only a few people. The public is what is who makes those decisions, and you are the public. And you've heard me say many times, from my perspective, that's what at your service means. It means that we get to dialogue together on the major issues of the day. And one of the issues we're going to cover in the next segment, because legally I find this to be fascinating topic. And that is a trial is started this week, and the trial involves who is responsible criminally, not not civilly, not like you hire a lawyer and file a lawsuit, but who is responsible criminally if someone who's in a Tesla car kills, and the car's on autopilot, runs a red light, kills another person. Is there someone criminally responsible for that? And that's an actual case that's going on right now. And I'm going to break down some of those legal issues in the next segment and maybe even into the next hour if I can't get through it in the next segment. But to me, that's a fascinating topic because you cannot hold or can you a piece of machinery criminally responsible? I mean, what do you do? You put a, you put a Tesla Roadster in prison? I mean, you can't you can't do that. So it's different from a civil case because you can always sue somebody and get monetary damages. But this is a criminal case. And to me, can you hold someone criminally responsible for manslaughter when they were allowing the car to drive, when the car says it's got an autopilot? And, And to me, that's something that we have not grappled with as our technology has improved. Lots more texts coming in. Uh, one, the economy, immigration, and um, shall I say, dumb Democrats <laughs> to to uh, motivate uh, you to get out to vote, Red. That's, that's true. Uh, also, someone texted in, Biden is an old fool. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the Hill magazine, which is not Fox News, it's not the One America Network, uh, it's a it's a mainstream online publication, The Hill. They ran an article just today. Is it time to start seriously discussing invoking the 25th Amendment when we're talking about President Biden? Um, and this is not throwing shade. It's not a hot take. That's a legitimate discussion that's being raised by a major media publication, given the, some of the foibles that we're seeing in our current president. And of course he's saying he's gonna run for office again in two years. I'm telling you right now, I will bet you chicken wings at Cyberg's uh that there is no way that President Biden runs for reelection in 2024. No way that it happens. And uh and we'll see <clears throat> we'll see if that happens. I also have a bet of chicken wings with a good friend of mine, a liberal friend of mine from law school, about who will be controlling the Senate. Uh, after the midterm election next week, I bet uh, chicken wings. And, you know, listen, I'm serious when I'm betting chicken wings, okay? That, to me, is very serious wager uh, because I do not want to lose that. In fact, I called Cybergs just today and asked him, do you have any uh, uh, Lafitte Rothschild wine that costs $25,000? thousand dollars a bottle because when I win my chicken wings bet, I'm going to get the most expensive thing they have on the menu. But uh, they, they they don't cover that. So when we they ha- <laughs> don't have that in stock, but uh, we're going to take a break here. But when we come back, I do want to talk about this issue of who's responsible, who is responsible when a Tesla on autopilot kills someone and can cars be held criminally responsible for someone's death? At your service, KMOX. Hey, do not go away. Well, I don't know if the driver was a sharp-dressed man or not, but uh, uh, he will be when he goes to court. So, talking about the guy who was in the Tesla, who engaged the autopilot, uh, the Tesla uh, ran a red light, crashed into another car, killed someone. Now that person is on trial uh, for. Manslaughter. Is it okay to hold a driver responsible for manslaughter when that person really wasn't driving the car? We got lots of texts on this. We also have Jerry who's called in. Hey, Jerry, welcome to KMOX.
3: Hello, how are you? I'm doing uh, great, sir. Thanks. The, being in the car industry, I can tell you that um, no matter what, uh, the owner and insurance holder of that vehicle, actually the owner of that vehicle, Is responsible for its safe operation and that is it Uh, if you're sort of like if you your cruise control got stuck and you plowed it in the back of the body right or your brakes failed or your whatever you're responsible for the correct operation the safe operation of that vehicle and if you hit kill somebody no matter if you have it on autopilot or not you're responsible mm-
1: mm-hmm. and, and 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 I, and i really i got to tell you this Jerry, before we dive into this conversation i I'm not exactly sure on which side of this issue that I fall onto, but I do have some questions for you, and it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean I'm arguing my point of view. I just want to ask no. you some questions because yes. because the cruise control is a is a different item when when the cruise control is on, obviously your speed is modulated or rather it's fixed at a certain speed but you're still in right. control of the car. The whole idea of a Tesla autopilot is to say this car operates on its own. So if the car is, if, if you bought the car on the premise that it will drive itself, can should the driver then be held criminally responsible when the car fails to do what it was advertised that it did?
3: It, honestly, it doesn't matter. What matters is is that you, the driver, the person sitting in the driver's seat, is responsible for the safe operation of that vehicle. If one of its features fails, it's still your responsibility. Just like if anything else failed as a feature on that vehicle that caused an accident, which a number of things could, especially with today's technology. Uh, lane keep assist and automatic braking and pedestrian uh, stopping and all the all these safety things that are in cars, you are still responsible for making sure that car drives and rides in a safe manner in public and on the public streets. Hmm. If it does not, you you are liable. That's why you have insurance. Mm-hmm. That's, and you it, know if you uh, that's the way the state law reads now.
1: It does, but this of course is state law that was drafted. It could have been drafted when people were were driving horseless carriages. Yeah, uh, you know, we, it's certainly not a state law that was drafted with the idea that automobiles possess a certain degree of artificial intelligence, and you buy that car on the promise that the car drives itself. And but don't you? I, I know you're very steadfast on your position, Jerry, and I applaud you for that. Uh, but do you see this as a new? area of a problem because of the whole autopilot feature as opposed to cruise control or or uh you know high tech braking.
3: Uh wait, I, I actually no, I don't. I I think that the way this case will come out is, is, is...
1: Uh oh, I think we lost Jerry.
3: Rats. That's the way the law reads now. Now should now couldn't that could that driver or owner of that car have recourse to Tesla? Or if you read that Tesla manual real closely, mm-hmm. it says you must still pay attention. Okay. Right. If you need to take over, you should. In other words, they if, if you if you you can probably Google a Tesla manual right now and go to the auto sec, auto drive section and it'll disclaim it all over the place. As to its reliability, it's, you know, can you fall asleep and be, you know, no. You're, it says you're supposed to pay attention. Okay. Yep. And, 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 those certain, and those are certain, and those are certainly bunking,
1: elements, Jerry, those are certainly elements that are incredibly important in a civil case. I just don't know if someone can be held criminally responsible when their car doesn't operate properly. Hey, I've got other callers, Jerry, I want to go to. Thanks so much for calling in this evening.
3: Thank you very much, my friend. Great Bye-bye. to talk to you.
1: Uh, I want to go to Jim, who's been holding. Hey, Jim, welcome to Camel X.
4: Brad, thanks for taking my call. Hey, sure. Uh, well, um, I, I well, I think what Jerry's, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I think, what, well, on one hand, I want to say what Jerry's saying sounds right. The thing is, one thing I know about law is that when you get in court, it's kind of of hard to tell exactly where things are going to go. But it sounds to me like even if the driver was held uh, civilly and criminally liable for the, you know, for the results of that collision, then it would be up to that. He's saying owner. If the owner was held civilly and criminally liable for the results of the collision, then it would be up to the owner to turn around and hold the manufacturer liable for their
1: yeah product defect of,
4: of, 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 of yeah of a manufacturer defective right. product
1: right. And we're talking about that, and that makes perfect sense to me, Jim, in the context of a civil case. But in the context of a criminal case, it's a completely different uh, analysis set here yeah. because because now you're talking about going to prison or not. And, and and that goes outside of the realm of civil damages when when we're talking about your freedom is being restricted.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he, yeah, well, uh, like I say, I mean, it's it's possible that even even uh, the way I understand things, even in a civil even in a civil case, it's possible that the judge. I mean, I don't know, but they get weird sometimes. I, I the way I what I know about it, I could see a judge allowing. Um, the owner of the of the vehicle to uh, enjoin. Does that sound right? Enjoin the owner. Uh, you know, as a function of, uh, of the fact that the owner misrepresented the mm-hmm. you know the, the features of the product. I don't. I don't know. But right. You could in certainly
1: outside. in a civil case, but that's just not something that's doable in a in a criminal case. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for calling in. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you, you sharing your opinion on that. Mm-hmm. What? Thank you. Yeah, and that's why this criminal case is different, Uh, because in a civil case, yeah, you could sue Tesla. You could sue the manufacturer of, of some of the electronics that were made by a different vendor. You could bring all that in in a civil case. But in a criminal case, really what you're talking about is negligence. And usually in negligence situations, the law doesn't put you in prison. The law says you can be sued and held responsible for damages for your negligence. But legally, very few people are ever put in prison for negligence. But that's really what's on trial here, is whether someone can go to prison for a very long time because they were negligent. Hey, great issues. Thanks for participating. We've got another hour of At Your Service here on Camel X. Phone lines are open for the entire hour. Call in. Look forward to talking to you.